Welcome to the Basin Church Podcast. And as a church, our mission is to bring hope and wholeness through Jesus Christ. And no matter where you are and as you listen today, we hope that you find hope in Jesus and even move one step closer to being made whole. Um, so a few years back, my wife had a big monumental birthday. And I decided I am not um, one of those guys who... I'm not, a, I'm not really good at gift giving, but I knew this was a big moment for her and a big moment in her life. And so I, and she is one who does not like surprises. So what do I do? I decide to surprise her. And I bought these tickets. And I, we were living on the West Coast at the time. And her friend is in, lives in Nashville, Tennessee. So I decided I was going to surprise my wife and buy her plane tickets without her knowing to go to Nashville, Tennessee. Well, that, were, that was a good idea and kind of a bad idea. Uh, but anyways, so it, it happens. I buy her tickets. She's, I give her the tickets on her birthday, and she's like, oh my gosh, what in the world are you thinking? Right, what are you thinking? And I'm thinking, well, I'm surprising you, and it's a big monumental birthday. And, uh, and she decides that, you know, obviously she's going to go through with it, but at the moment, what happens is you can see her wheels clicking. Because if, if you know this to be true as moms, they kind of have this thing about being away from, well, at least my wife does. She has this thing about being away from her kids, right? It's, it's like no one can take care of the kids better than mom. And so now she's thinking, oh my gosh, now I'm, I've been away from my kids and, and I've been away for like a month, not a month, a, a day or so, but now I'm going to go for like four or five days to another state how am I going to get back? What if there's what, what if there's an issue, Joe? What what, if, what 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 happens? I mean, and I'm thinking, as any dad would say, I've got this. It's okay, you know. You just give them enough sugar, and life's good, right? You know, I mean, it's, it's just easy, right? And so she's going through this whole thing, and and uh, finally she gets works it up, and she decides she's gonna uh, she does go on the trip. But she calms her nerves. Everything's fine. She has peace about it, and she takes off. And as she comes, so the stop is in Dallas. Okay. So she uh, has a stop in Dallas before she hits Nashville. And when she's in the airport, she sees everyone crowding around this man. She has no idea who this man is. And everyone starts to take pictures with this man. Everyone starts to shake this guy's hand. She's like, is this guy a celebrity? What in the world's going on? And as she begins to um, kind of zone in and kind of watch this guy, she's trying to figure out who is this guy. And so she sends me a picture she doesn't send me a good picture. She sends me kind of like, didn't want to be like intrusive to him. So kind of the back and kind of the side of him. And I go, oh, okay, I know who that is. She's like, who is it? And most people wouldn't know. So let me just put it this way. If you're not a sports person, you're not going to know this person. Now, I will tell you this. If you lived in Texas, you should know this person if you're a Dallas Cowboy fan. Okay, so it, this guy is, he's not, he's not Troy Aikman. Though I love Troy Aikman because he came from UCLA. But he is not Troy Aikman. It's not, it's not Jimmy Johnson. It's Barry Switzer. It's Barry Switzer. Now, if you don't know who Barry Switzer is, Barry Switzer was a Super Bowl uh, coach after Jimmy Johnson. Barry Switzer, it, believe it or not, is one of three coaches to actually win a national championship in college and in the pros. So he was three years with Oklahoma. He won a championship in Oklahoma. He came to the Cowboys and won, uh, I can't remember, I think it was Super Bowl 30, and he beats the Pittsburgh Steelers. 
So this guy is like a celebrity. And then she tells me that she was re, you know, telling the story to me this week. And she goes, matter of fact, Joe, he sat right behind me. <laughs> I didn't even know who this guy was. And I'm like, oh. And it's so true that you can be so close to something and miss it. It's so, clo- so close that you don't fully understand that she was actually next to a, a, a professional and, and a coach and a guy who was well-loved and well-liked, the Super Bowl champion, and she had no idea. And I don't know about you, but there are times in life where we can be so close to things and miss it. Right? So if you're not into sports, you'd probably be like my wife. You'd probably go, who in the world is Barry Switzer? I can tell you this for me. If, if it was for me, if you, there was some pop singer or pop person or band today and they were in my presence, I would not know who they were. And people would probably be taking pictures and probably be doing that stuff and I have no idea who they are. And so we have this kind of this, we can be in the presence of someone and not fully understand who it is. And sometimes we can miss out on who they are. And so when you talk about this, when, and you go into life, the thing about life is, is this, that when it comes to life, that there's kind of two things when you're around something. You can either be oblivious to situations or something, or you can ignore it, right? So my wife was totally, totally oblivious. I would be oblivious, again, if there was like a, a rock star or something like that, but totally oblivious, and I think people are oblivious to situations. Have you ever gone in public and you see somebody doing something? Like if you've been in a car and you look over and the lady's just like doing her makeup, like just doesn't care, right? Just doesn't care. Uh, or you, you just seen people, and I saw this the other day, this person has their headphones on and they're dancing. And I'm like, what are you doing? You're, they're just oblivious to life. It's like they're zoning in to just them and they're like, nobody else is around, right? They're just oblivious to kind of what's going on. And, and all the time you're thinking, people are looking at them kind of going, what are you doing, right? And so the, my favorite is this is when people pick up the cell phone, and they're on the cell phone like this, and usually um, they think they're not on speaker, but it's on speaker. And so they're talking, and it's like, hello? And you hear the full-on conversation, and you want to go, you're on speaker, don't you? You know what I'm saying? Like, so people have this whole idea when it comes to uh, life that they are completely oblivious to life. But here's the other thing. They're oblivious to situations, but people are oblivious to how they respond. Think about this. There are some people you work with who have no idea how they treat their coworkers. There's some people that, that look at their lives and they have no idea how, their reputation. They just don't. They're kind of oblivious how they respond. They're kind of oblivious to what they say. They just think, well, that's just me. And if that's just me, then, then that's, just, that's what you get. But they don't understand that. And then people kind of tell them, hey, do you know you treat that person that way? Hey, do you kind of understand how you look when you, when you do this in public or how you treat your kids? Or do you know about your reputation? They kind of look at you like, no, I, I never knew. But then there's other people when they come to a place in, in life is they ignore it. So they know they have a bad reputation. They know they treat their coworkers horribly. They know how they handle their kids. They can clearly see it. They don't have blind spots. I think the person who's oblivious does have blind spots, and the person who ignores it does not have blind spots. Right? So they come to the point, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm okay. Like, yeah, I know my reputation, but that's just who I am. Right? Those are just my coworkers. I mean, that's just okay. And yeah, I do treat my kids like that. Yeah, and I do talk a little harsh, but that's okay. Right? So they kind of ignore it. And when you think in life that people tend to have these two ways of oblivious or they ignore it, 
It is, it is a choice that people kind of make. If you're oblivious, it's kind of like you just don't know, but you do have a choice if you ignore it. And I think sometimes that people go through life and they miss it. And when Jesus came on the earth, I think there was a two, two ways when it came to Jesus. The one is this, is that people were either oblivious, right, to who he was and what he was all about, or when Jesus walked the earth, people just ignored him. Like, I don't care who this guy is. I don't care if he heals. I don't care. I, Messiah, that's whatever. And so you have this, this point with Jesus. And that the interesting thing about Jesus is this. Jesus attracted crowds. And it wasn't just by the miracles Jesus attracted crowds. Jesus actually taught, and crowds would swarm him. And what Jesus did was he stirred up in people, and he stirred up emotion, and he began to cause a stir among people. Think about this. You have the 12 disciples who give up everything, who give up their, they give up their job, they give up what they're doing to follow this Jesus, give up their life to follow this Jesus, a life they have no idea what's, what's going to happen. He has nowhere to, to lay his head. He has, they don't know what he's doing or where he's going, but they're following him. There's, there's a draw to this Jesus. And these crowds would follow him, and they would crowd him. And the Pharisees were, were uh, hypocritical, and they were hostile towards him. And, but all about Jesus is he stirred up this emotion, he stirred up people. And so today we're going to talk about this, and if you have your Bible, we're going to drop into a story into Luke chapter 18. And it's really this whole idea of Jesus coming, and, and the story where, you, again, you see, are people oblivious to the things of Jesus, or are they going to be one that ignores the things of Jesus? So it's in, in Luke chapter 19, and, and you can turn there, it'll be on the screen as well. But I love Luke. Luke's a little bit different than Matthew, and we'll see it. But Luke um, is a very detail-oriented guy. So if you like details, Luke's your guy. You want to read the Gospel of Luke because he gives you details. And what I love about Luke is he gathers all eyewitnesses and starts to write down his account, an eyewitness account. So we're going to open up to Luke chapter 19, and we're going to start in verse uh, 28, and we're going to go all the way down. And it says this. Luke begins to write, and he says, After telling the story, Jesus went on towards Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. So now you see the picture again. He's very detail-oriented. Jesus is walking ahead of his disciples. And as he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany, which are key, and we'll talk about that in a second, on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Now, Jesus is telling a story. So right before this, he talks about the ten uh, talents, and he's talking about a parable. And so Luke uh, gets this idea that he, after this parable, now at this point, Jesus is making his final leg of his journey. So if you think of life in Jesus' life as like a, a race, or if you think of it as a relay race, this part in Luke comes to the last leg. It's the last leg before the finish line for Jesus. And this point, it starts the passion story. It starts right here all the way to his death and resurrection. So this is the, the, the point where it is kind of in Jesus' life. And Bethpage and Bethany are very key, and they're very significant. And there's, there's a reason why Luke would say this. And the reason why he said this, because he wants you obviously to gather the location. The location is right outside the Mount of Olives. But Bethpage and Bethany are, is significant because Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who he raised from the dead, live there. 
So he wants you to understand that, that there's a little bit of significance here. And then Jesus says uh, he's going to send two disciples ahead. Well, now he, as he does that, he begins to give orders. So here's the orders that, that Jesus begins to say in verse 30 and 31. He says, go into that village over there, he, he told them. And as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say the Lord needs it. So think about this. He, he gives orders to these, to these men. Go over and secure. Now, I don't want you to secure anything. I want you to secure a colt. And the colt has to be one that has never been ridden before. So this young donkey, I want you to go out there and get it. And it can't be ridden. Well, wait a second. You, you just want us? Yeah, yeah. So... Here's what I want you to do. I just want you to tell them the password. Well, what's the password? The Lord needs it. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, okay, if I'm a disciple and Jesus comes to me and he says, okay, I want you to go find a, a disciple, or a, I mean a donkey, and you're a disciple, you're thinking, what? You want me to go find one A that's unridden, and you want me to tell the owner, you just want me to untie it right then and there and say, oh, the Lord needs it, it's going to be okay. Like, it makes no sense, right? Because you're thinking probably the owner will say, no, 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 don't take it, don't do that. But the interesting thing is, is he needs this cult because what's going to happen is he's going to reveal himself as the Messiah. Whether people know it or not, this is the point in his time where he finally gets to reveal who he is and what he came to do. And I'm thinking these men, and if Jesus comes to me and he says this, I'm thinking, well... Yeah, I've heard you, Jesus, and I understand what you want me to do. And I've seen you do amazing things, and I've obeyed you. And if I was Peter, uh, yeah, you told me to fish in a spot that you normally wouldn't fish, and I caught the best ever. Okay, Lord, well, fine, I'll do it. And see, the thing about Jesus is anytime he tells you to do something, no matter how absurd it is, do it. No matter how absurd it is, when the Lord tells you to do something, you do it. And it might seem strange to you, and it might seem strange to me, and it might seem strange to these, these disciples, but here, again, if he tells you to do something, you do it, because God has a plan and a purpose for when he asks you to do something. And so he has a plan and a purpose right here for these people as well, and for him as revealing himself as the, the Savior. So now, they, it tells us exactly what they do. So they, re, they release it, and it says this. They went, in verse 32 and 34, they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? Just, just like Jesus would say, right? And he says, the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and replied, the Lord needs it. And they threw their garments over him and they began to ride, and, uh, throw garments over it and he began for him to ride on. Now, the disciples carry out the, instruc the instructions. What are the instructions? Go get the colt, untie the colt. Okay, God, we got it. Okay, we understand that. So they come back, they fulfill the mandate that Jesus asked them to do, but there's something greater here. There's something more that's happening. Yeah, they fulfill the mandate, but what they don't understand is they're fulfilling a prophecy in the Old Testament. What they are fulfilling is they are fulfilling Zechariah 9, where it says that the Messiah will come into Jerusalem 
riding on a donkey. So if you are an Old Testament uh person who had knowledge in the Old Testament, if you had knowledge of the prophecy, you would understand that, that there, was, there was prophecy leading up to Jesus. There were signs leading up to Jesus. And this is one of the signs, that he will come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And here is what is very interesting. When they bring the, the colt back, it says they put the garments on it, and he begins to ride on it. Now, this is very key and very significant. Now you're thinking, why would Jesus, not only is it a prophecy, but why would Jesus actually go on a colt? Well, let me tell you why it's so significant. Because him coming on a horse would be completely different. It would sig- signify something else. But Jesus wants to signify this, that as rather than coming on a, a horse and he comes on a, on a donkey, on a colt, what he is signifying is peace. He's, not, he's on a beast of peace and not a war charger. Well, what does that mean? Well, if you went to war, what were you on? You were on horses. You would come into a city with your sword drawn and your horse, and you'd be riding in there. Well, Jesus is not like that. That's not who the Messiah is. So the cult is very significant when he rides into here. He's signifying that there is a realm of peace that is going to take place. And it's significant because if you are a Jewish person, this is your thought of the day. The thought is this, that Jesus or this Messiah was going to come and he was going to overthrow the current government. And the current government was the Roman government. So when Jesus would show up and he shows up on a donkey, he's basically taking that theory out. That he did not come to overthrow the government. It's not one that is causing war, but he's coming to establish peace. Peace between men. And the interesting thing about this is this is not the first time it happened. It actually happened with King Solomon. And King Solomon, right after the, uh, King David, and he, was the, uh, he followed in the footsteps of King David, when he became king, he rides into Jerusalem. He rides on a colt and not a horse. So Solomon does it. And what does it do? It signifies peace. So when Jesus comes in, he's saying, my kingdom and my rule and what is going to be established now as the Messiah is peace. And so if you're standing there, either you're going to be oblivious to it, you're going to catch it, or you're going to ignore it. And so as he he goes down and, and Then, as he begins to ride, something else significant happens in the next verses. In verse 36, here's what it says. As he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of them. So as he rode along, they begin to spread their garments. And here's why this key. Because they have open recognition of of Jesus' kingship. They now recognize who is king. And they begin to spread it out, and they begin to lay it down, and they say and, and show that they have a great respect for this new king, who is not bringing battle, who is not bringing war, but who is a, a kingdom of peace, who's establishing peace between men and God. And so something really interesting happens to Jesus. But before that happens, here's why the people 
are throwing down. They, they recognize, they respect, but here's they're doing something else in verse 37. When they reached to the place where the road started, down the Mount of Olives, all of his fo- followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. And they're screaming that and they're praising and they're shouting. And they're beginning to praise and, and to Jesus. And the whole crowd praises Him. Why? For the miracles that they have seen. See, they begin to praise Him for the things that they know there's something different about this Messiah. And these people around start to catch who he is. And they begin to sing out of Psalm 118, it says. In Psalm 118, it's a prayer of thanksgiving. And it is one of adoration. And so they're singing joyfully and willfully. And it's one that's the, that this, out of this psalm they would do over Passover. So they begin to praise Jesus for this amazing miracles and who he is. The Messiah has come. And all of a sudden, the, the, the thing that, that happens out of their mouths is very key. Their proclamation. And their proclamation is this, right? Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace on heaven and glory in the highest of heaven. Now, this is key because this glory to God in the highest, the other time, not only when Jesus is going on the colt and walking or riding in to Jerusalem, the angel said this at his birth. Glory to God in the highest. And what? Peace and goodwill towards men. And now, 33 years later, after he's a grown man, these people begin to sing and praise the same thing that the angel said when he was born. Glory to God in the highest. So now we have this, this idea, and we begin to see that both heaven and earth offered praises to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Messiah, Jesus. And it's really interesting as they, as you're, and and if you're thinking, people have a choice. Because remember, there's people around. There's not just the people throwing down the stuff, there's people around. And so are they catching this? Well, Jesus catches something, and it's very significant for Jesus because of how he responds when he starts to go down into Jerusalem. And here's what happens to Jesus. First, the Pharisees come at him in verse 39. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. So the reaction is, is not a surprise to you and I. They're one that of hostility and skepticism. They're after Jesus. Like, Jesus, what do you, what do you think? Tell your people to stop. And they've, they've gone after Jesus trying to trick him. They've gone and, and done this. Well, why do your disciples eat with sinners? They've done this the entire when Jesus was on earth. And now they come to this point and, and they say, well, you need to, to stop these people because ultimately the Pharisees, their praise for the Messiah is not lining up with the people. They don't share in the same sediments that the people have. They're kind of frustrated. They know what's going on. They actually know what's happening. But here's the Pharisees. They choose to ignore it. They choose to ignore it. They are people of the law. They're religious people. They understand the Old Testament. They understand things. They understand what is taking place. And they tell them to be quiet because he's not the Messiah. And so Jesus responds and Jesus says, I'm not going to yield to you. I don't know who you think you are. But he, he begins to rebuke them. And he says this in, in um, verse 40. He says, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. 
So he says, someone has to proclaim the Messiah and the goodness of God. And Pharisees, let me just tell you something. If you want this to stop, it's not going to stop. Because see those inanimate objects over there, those stones? If these people don't cry out and shout a proclamation to who the Messiah is, guess what? Those stones over there who have no life in them will come to life and begin to sing the praises of the Messiah. So I'm not going to stop. And I won't tell them and I won't yield to you. And so he begins to rebuke them in that. And the whole point of history is coming to this this head. It is this, that the Messiah is now being revealed. And God wants it to be acknowledged that his son has come. That the Messiah has come to save the people, what? From their sins. So then Jesus has a reaction with the Pharisees. And now he has just something else happens to him in verse 41. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. He began to weep. He said, how, how I wish today that all of you people could understand the way of peace. But now it is too late, and the peace is hidden from your eyes. So Jesus comes over the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives, you, you can see the city. And it's pretty interesting. It's kind of just like this small little mount. It's not really a mountain. It's not really a hill. It's kind of in between. And you can see the entire city of Jerusalem. And Jesus is overwhelmed and he has, with emotion, and he begins to weep. And the reason why he weeps is because they miss it. The city of Jerusalem misses it. They miss, they miss the Messiah. And so as he begins to weep, and he's coming over, he understands this, that Jesus does not reject the city of Jerusalem, but in fact, Jerusalem has rejected Jesus. And he's overwhelmed with emotion that he cries for the city of Jerusalem. And he says this, that there will be death and destruction and desolation will come to this city. And it hurts him. And he begins to just cry. And then he says this. If they, it, basically, if they would just accept who he is, they would bring peace. But in 43, he says, Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close you in on from every side. They will crush you to the ground and your children with you. Thanks for the good news. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place. Because why? Here's it is. You didn't recognize it when God visited you. You didn't recognize when the Messiah came. You did not recognize Emmanuel, God with us. And because of that, there will be destruction. And And he says, not just any destruction, what? Your children... Even your children with you will be crushed. Everything will be crushed. There won't be a stone in place. You'll be so desolate and so uh, mass destruction. You won't even be able to recognize Jerusalem. And the interesting thing is, is this, they had a choice. This point in history, they had a choice. And the choice that they took is they took a different course of action. And it 
basically brought them to destruction. And the interesting thing is, is this all could have been avoided. It all could have been avoided if the, the leaders and the people would have accepted who Jesus was. See, the interesting thing about God is God visits his people. He visits Gideon, and he visits Joshua, and he visits people, and they recognize him. But somehow, when it comes to Jesus, they just didn't recognize who he was. And because of that, Jerusalem will be destroyed. And it, it, it actually happens in 70 AD when Rome starts to destroy Jerusalem. But the interesting thing in all of this is, is when you look at this, sad, sadly, that the Jewish people chose this, but the interesting thing is that they missed it. They missed it. The signs were so clear that they missed it. Whether they were oblivious or they ignored it, they missed the Messiah. They missed his coming. And the crowd, see, you could have been a crowd and you could have followed Jesus and you could have been on the fringe and you could have recognized who he was and you could have missed it there too. And if you were definitely a Pharisee, guess what? You chose to ignore this Messiah. But the lesson in all of this, I believe, for all of them, it's a lesson for you and I as well, and it is this, that it is possible to be close to religion and yet still miss God. It is possibly close to religion and still miss God. See, we miss things all the time. We miss things all the time in life. And, and growing up, I, I played basketball. And I, I love basketball. I can't believe none of my kids play basketball. I was like, oh, Lord, really? None of my kids play basketball. This is bad. No, but anyways, I, we're playing basketball, and I love playing basketball. But you know what one of the easiest shots is besides the slam dunk? It's called a layup. You're two feet from you're right, you're two feet from the basket and you throw the ball in. It's not hard. And yet sometimes people will miss layups because um, you know, people are trying to block them, the opponent's trying to block you, or something happens. But ultimately you, you try to throw the ball in. It's an easy shot, but you should never do it by yourself. Never. Like you should never miss it if you're alone. And yet people still miss it. And you know what else is true? It's not just for basketball. Think about relationships. When we're talking about relationships, do you know you miss it in relationships? That at times when, when you're in a relationship and it's probably not healthy for you and you think it's healthy and you think everything's good and everything's okay and someone comes to you and here's what they say. They say, hey, are, are you okay? You know, I've noticed that there's something different about you. Do you know you act differently when you're around that person? Do you know you respond differently? And they try to speak wisdom and, and counsel on you. You just kind of ignore it. You're like, ah, no, no, not a, not a big deal, right? And, and you miss it. And so, really, I think people miss, and what they tend to miss is this, that God's not a God of religion. He's a God of relationship. It's all about relationship with Jesus. It's all about relationship to, to us and to humans. God is all about relationship. It's not about rules and regulations. It's about relationship, and I think there's times that we miss it, and I think there are the biggest thing that we can be blind to and even miss is God. See, we can miss God in these moments when God wants to intersect your life. See, you can miss the moments when, when God wants to do something in and through your life. You can miss the, po the point that God's trying to transform you and to mold you and to shape you into what he wants you to be and what he wants you to become. And you, sometimes we miss those things. And, and so I just want to read something to you. It's kind of seen with this accomplishment of the Wright brothers. Now, the Wright brothers obviously were the first people to actually fly for 17 seconds and 120 feet. But let me just tell you what, what happens. In, in December in 1903, after many attempts, the Wright brothers, 
Orville and Wilbur were successful in getting their flying machine off the ground into the air at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. Thrilled over their accomplishment, they telegraphed this message to their sister Catherine. We've actually flown 120 feet and we'll be home for Christmas. Catherine hurried to the editor of the local newspaper and showed him this message. He glanced at it and said, how nice. The boys will be home for Christmas. He totally missed it. He totally missed it, right? 120 feet, 17 seconds, they build this flying machine. He totally misses it. And, and for you and I, here's a question. Will we miss Jesus because we're too busy concentrating on far less important things? See, now, you have probably done this. How many times have you done something clumsy or, or not paying attention when you've been on your phone? Some of you, you've had somebody probably run into you because they're on their phone, right? Or sometimes they're just, just not involved in what's going on because they're on their phone. And there will be people that are walking just down and, and they, they kind of look up in once in a while, but they miss what's going on around them. And I'm guilty of that as well. And maybe there's some times where you've probably been on your phone and uh, you've probably drifted into the other lane because you're texting, <laughs> right? And there's a lot of things that we miss sometimes when we're focused on what's right in front of us, right? There are times when we're watching TV, when we're scrolling through, when we're on our status and, and, or we're answering texts that we miss things right around us. And the, the thing is that Jesus, it's, it's easy to trade for what's important for what you're doing in the moment. And the question I, I put here is this, is Jesus wants to transform your life, but here's the question. Are you missing it because you're not paying attention? Are you missing it like the people? Are you missing what God and Jesus wants to do in your life because you're not paying attention? See, the thing again, again, people miss it because it's about relationship. It's not about religion. Jesus is a God about relationship. And even to this day, people miss who Jesus is and what he came to do. They missed him when he rode in the donkey, and people miss it today. And, and Jesus is simply this. Uh, we, we know this, and is that he came for what? One thing, to seek and save that which was lost. Those who were in the point of destruction and despair, just like you and me, that we were in our sin, which is missing the mark that God has, the standard that God has. We were doing things our own way. And so God, in his love, his unconditional love, what did he do? He sent Jesus. Because someone had to have a place. There had to be a place for, uh, of restoration and redemption. And the only way to do it was to, to die. And so he sends Jesus for you and for I. And that's what he did. And that's why he came. And, and still to this day, some people miss it. And, and you could be missing it too. And there's probably there's neighbors, there's coworkers. You know there's people who are missing it. And Jesus doesn't want us to miss it. Now maybe you, you've, you've had that relationship and maybe that might be your starting point or maybe you already had a relationship with Jesus, but here's where you kind of are, is you're missing out on God because you're focused on things that aren't necessarily important. And well, what I mean by that is, is this, is Jesus wants you to have a relationship with you and if he has a relationship with you, guess what? He doesn't want it to be stagnant. He doesn't want it to be grow, not going anywhere. He wants it to be growing right any relationship that is healthy will grow 
Anyone that's going to cut any problems is going to be stagnant. It's not going to go anywhere. And it's the same thing with Jesus. Jesus wants a relationship with you, not just, oh, I come to know him as, as a savior, but he wants to grow you spiritually and grow him into what he has for you. And so some of us, so what we need to do is we need to start taking less time of what's not important. Right? If you look through your week again, like I said, like where do you spend most of your time? See, because most of us, we need to start spending more time reading Scripture and beginning to like just digest what God is saying. Some of us need to spend more time in our prayer time. We extend those two minutes to five minutes, those five minutes to ten minutes. We need to start conversing with God. See, God, and, and He doesn't want to be an afterthought. And I think a lot of times, God is an afterthought after we do our, our scrolling and after we, we binge watch and after we, 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 you know, we relax or whatever it is. It's like he's an afterthought. He doesn't want to be an afterthought. And so for some of us today, we're missing out on what God has for you because he's not on top. He's not the number one priority. And so if that's you today, God wants you to rearrange your priorities. He doesn't want you to miss out on what he has for you. And maybe you're here and, and this question you need to ask yourself is this. You need to assess whether you've traded righteousness for self-righteousness. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, righteousness comes through Jesus and right living comes through Jesus. Self-righteousness is Pharisees. The Pharisees thought they knew everything. The Pharisees thought they were better than everyone else. The Pharisees looked down on people. And so my question is, you need to assess, have you traded that for self-righteousness? Do you go through and look at people and go, well, I'm, I'm not as bad as this person? I'm not as bad as them, or, or I, I do this better, or I'm this, or, or whatever it is. Or, you know what, I'm okay. You know, I, I know enough of the Bible. You know, you know what really bothers me? Is when people think they're super spiritual. Because they know scripture or they know stuff, they think they're on a higher pedestal than anybody else. Can I just tell you that? That is the Pharisee mindset. That's being self-righteous. And you'll miss it. if You'll miss what God has for you if you're self-righteous. You'll miss it if you think that you're better than anyone else. It says that God wants us to be humble. He resists the proud. So don't miss out what God has for you. And finally, this is my next question as I wrap up, is this. What does your relationship with Jesus look like? What does it look like? What does your relationship with Jesus look like? And better yet, here's the next question. Is it in name only? See, what I've learned moving, to the, moving here, I've learned that you can talk about Jesus. You know what else I've learned? That Sunday is for church and football. I mean, it's bizarre. You know what? You can, you can go in Monday and someone can ask you, what would you do this week? And you say, I went to church. And they don't look at you like you have three heads. It's just common. And there's, that's, that's a good thing and that's a bad thing. It's a good thing and it's a bad thing. The bad thing is, is I mean, the good thing is, First off, that people are open and it's kind of in your culture and it's in our culture that it is um, and people are open, can be open to spiritual things. People can be open to Jesus. You can be open to spiritual things. That's a good thing. The bad thing is this. The bad thing is, is that people can be skeptical. They can be frustrated. 
They can be hurt by church people. And the last thing I put is they can sit in church and think they're okay with God. Because I come to church, I'm okay with God. And I, and I say this, coming to church and sitting in the pew in an hour does not make you a follower of Jesus. But somehow we've kind of got in this idea that we can do that, and it's just not the case. See, what we've become is we've become cultural Christians. We're Christians in name only. Hey, where do you go? Oh, I go to Christian church. Oh, so you're a Christian. That doesn't make you a Christian. It doesn't make you a Christian. So I'm asking you is, where is your relationship with Jesus? Is it in name only? Or are you actually pursuing the plans and purposes that he has for your life? Are you living out what he wants to do in your life? See, because if we live out what all we're saying is, is this, that we're just a Christian. If, you are a fa- if you're a Christian, you know what that meant? That meant that you are a little Jesus, that, that they didn't know what to call you. Un- unbelievers called you, look at those little, little Jesuses, little, those Christians. Because their values and their actions lined up with Jesus. And so if, I know it's going to be difficult, but if you want to transform your relationship, here's what needs to happen. You need to allow Jesus to touch you and say, Jesus, I, there's areas in my life where I need you to just touch and move, and I need to grow. And I know it's going to be tough, but I tell you what, with the power of the Holy Spirit, God can begin to work and move and mold you into what he wants you to be. And believe me, God doesn't want you to be Christian in name only. He wants you to be a follower of Jesus. So, you can miss many things, but the most important is it's Jesus. And I don't know where you are today. I don't know where, when it comes to your life, if you're focused on things that you sh- are not important, that you shouldn't be involved in. I don't know if you're just missing out because you're not paying attention. I don't even know if you're at a place where you're kind of saying, oh, man, I am a Christian in name only, but I want to be something different. See, it's possible. It's possibly so close to religion and so close to God and yet still miss him. But that doesn't have to be you and that doesn't have to be me. And today I believe that the Lord wants to change you. Thanks for listening. And if you would like more information on our church or you'd like to visit us in person, you can go to basinchurch.org. And as always, we hope this content helps you on your faith journey.